This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. March is awards month in Hollywood. Obviously, it's Oscar month. It's just extraordinary how increasingly successful Australians have been at the Oscars. Well, we just punch it above our weight. I haven't been cooking. Clemmie Donoghue has been cooking. Oh, that <laughs> child, you just she's like Cinderella. Get in the kitchen, Clem, and cook Look, us up a storm. She arrived at our place with the most beautiful esky full of prawns. It wasn't the most beautiful esky. It was an esky full of beautiful prawns. No, the esky had prawns all over it. Oh, <laughs> It did. You don't joke. Decorated in prawns. She wore a gorgeous and elegant Grecian-style strapless Saint Laurent dress, like the sort of thing if you came off the beach you'd put on, but it draped beautifully. Would you? Would we we pop on Yves Saint Laurent after coming home from the beach? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 209 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here on what feels like, to quote my colleague on Footy Classified, Eddie Maguire, Corrie, as Christmas Day. The first day of the season. Well, no, grand final day is like Christmas Day, but he said last night felt like Christmas Eve. I'm with Eddie because if your team's not in the grand final, it just feels like a party that you haven't been invited to. So I don't um, know about that. You always the, get fired up by the grand final. The start of the season is really good. But we have to, Caro, you know, we have to acknowledge there's a lot of um, bleak news around, um, particularly what's still happening in Ukraine. So we are a bit bright and breezy today and it is nice to have our focus taken to uh, football, all things football. It's been a beautiful autumnal week in Melbourne, still very warm, a little bit of rain, some beautiful days over the long weekend. We have to again thank our wonderful sponsors, Red Energy, who have the most satisfied customers now 11 years in a row. Thank you also to Prince Wine Store. Miles is back. He's coming in with two very, very reasonably priced wines that he's very excited about. One from the Yarra Valley, one from the King Valley. We'll talk about those in a moment. Remember, princewinestore.com.au is where you find the greatest wines in the world. Corrie, we've got um, some news. We're hosting a live event for the first time in a long time. In fact, three years. Almost for the first time since COVID. Yeah, or two years, two and a half, 2019. I think was our last one. We are back at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne. You're absolutely right. Thursday, May the 5th is where you have to come. We're going to be hosting our Mother's Day event at Bell's Hotel from 5.30. Please come. The cost is $60. All manner of wonderful people are going to be there along with us. Come and have a drink. Have a bite to eat and bring in Mother's Day at Bell's Hotel. And that is on Thursday, May the 5th. More details to come in the coming weeks, Corrie. That is very exciting. And I think all of you who are lucky enough to have mothers, bring them along and share them around. Or daughters. (laughs) Or daughters. My mother, Julia, will definitely be there. Footy tipping is back. You've twisted my arm, Jane. Corrie. You're you're tipping as well. Um, A lot of people have got in touch and said they want the footy tips back, so they're back. We'll be um, putting out our footy tips um, in a separate episode very, very soon. Well, do you know what I did when I heard that we might not be doing footy tips because it was all too hard? 
I actually just joined the SEN one. I thought I can't go through a season and not have a footy tipping competition. So there you go. I'm now in two. I'm a tart. Well, you don't really have to put them in, do you, if you're doing them on Don't Shoot the Messenger. Anyway, um, some correspondence. Corrie. Oh, I have a few too. You go first. Well, I love this from Diane of Iverson, Stozek via email. Big fan of the show. Excited there might be a new team in Tasmania. It's happening, Dion. Trust me, it is going to happen. She thought the most logical name would have been the Tigers. Dion, that is one of the more logical things I have ever read. Illogical, <laughs> that should be. And I'm glad you're going to um, throw your hat into the ring. The Tasmanian Huntsman. I don't know. <laughs> I reckon it'll she pro- says big, hairy, and right scary. It's kind of got a ring to it, but Tasmanian Tigers makes sense, Caro. Like, Corrie, give it up. You could become, you could look- become the Richmond, the Richmond cockatoos because there are I a lot last, of them around at the when, moment when in the I parks. Last, look, there was already a pretty <laughs> major tiger in the competition. Tasmanian Devils. Who knows? Now, Mariners, Caro- who knows? Caro, we've had a couple of comment, comment, lovely comments about our various chicken dishes. One was on Instagram, NH469. Thanks for this. She said, I made the chicken, or he said, I made the chicken bake so easy and so delicious. Might just need to add a bit more spice things next time. Thanks for sharing. I wasn't sure whether that was your chicken bake or my chicken bake because then Jane Slater came in and said, thank you for the delicious chicken and chorizo bake a couple of weeks ago. So I was That was uh, both of us via our friend Sal Loder. It's a just... Basically chorizo and prawns. No, no, that was oh, the, no, this that is the was chicken bake that you did. Oh, yes. And then a couple of weeks before right. that, Sorry. I did the recipe out of the Donna Hay book, which is the really delicious chicken bake, and you that put was the you. halloumi on it. Yes. Now, I think that's what uh, NH469 on Instagram is referring to because I think they deliberately, knowing Donna, she blands it down for families because I can't imagine that the chicken and chorizo would have needed spice. Anyway, this is such an important issue. Uh, I want to mention um, from Singapore, actually via my own WhatsApp, this is a friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, who does not wish to give his identity away. So we're just going to call him Singapore Sling, Caro. And he said, OMG, you gals, so Melbourne, so Aussie. I must say, (laughs) as I walk around the Marina Bay at sunrise listening to you two, it really is Australia calling. Can't wait to have a drink with you two in May. And then he sent another note a short time later. Did he already know that we were hosting drinks in May? No, because I said to him, <laughs> I can't wait to see you when you come out next. And then he sent a message a little, he must have been listening to that episode where you gave your good local tip about the foundation because he asked, you know, it must get the name of the foundation. Mm. He couldn't believe we were talking about it. And I know I keep poking fun at that foundation, but it keeps coming back to <laughs> it rears its ugly head. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks, Singapore Sling. Thank you, Singapore Sling. Great you're enjoying the show. Hope you can come to our Mother's Day event on May the 5th. Corrie, we are going to take Don't Shoot the Messenger to Hollywood for a few moments now because March is awards month in Hollywood. Obviously, it's Oscar month. An unprecedented number of Australians and Australian producers and costume designers and films have been nominated this year. Obviously, Jane Campion um, and her 
can film we, The Power of the Dog. Can we is, claim her as an Aussie? Well, we did when she won it with the piano, even though I think Antipodean is probably the word I should be using, isn't it? Um, but there was a lot of Australians who worked on that film and I spoke about um, the wonderful Australian cinematographer last week who worked on The Batman and um, he's also, also nominated, obviously, Nicole Kidman yet again. It's just extraordinary how increasingly successful Australians have been at the Oscars. Well, we just punch about above our weight all the time. You know, I, I just remain so overwhelmed by by the talent that we have here. It's funny because I've just been writing a little article on the magnificence, the increasing magnificence of Australian t- storytelling. And uh, we're just getting stronger and better. And when you think of the size of our nation, we really do produce so many stars and particularly in, um, in the movie sphere. So um, speaking of um, Australians on the stage, Rebel Wilson hosting the BAFTAs this week, she received a fair bit of flat, Caro. What were your thoughts? I didn't actually see the program because I'm not sure how to access it now, but I saw some YouTube clips. I thought yeah. she was okay. Look, she seemed um, to get a battering from the well, media. First, I, I read all the social media stuff, all the, em- the stuff on my email and um, on Google, and I thought, oh, this was clearly a complete disaster. And then I actually thought, look, I better have a look at this because I knew we were going to talk about it today. She looked amazing. She's lost a huge amount of weight, Rebel Wilson. Not that that is the main point of this story, but it's quite incredible how slim she looked. Um, the a lot of her jokes just fell flat. They just fell flat and it didn't – there was a couple of sort of sly digs that people just didn't really like. Um, Will Smith has come back at her because she had a crack at his um, very open marriage, I think as well how we would just describe the marriage of Will Smith. He's come back and had a go back at Rebel Wilson. I felt that she looked fabulous. Some of the jokes were quite funny, but – I don't know. I think we're very tough on our hosts and we're particularly tough on our women hosts. Or maybe we're tough on all of our hosts, but I don't think there's a more thankless gig in the world than hosting an awards night. You just wouldn't do it, would you? It's I mean, just... Ricky Gervais, I saw an interview with him because he is well known for as a BAFTA host. He's done quite a few and, and a couple of – got done a couple of Oscars, I think, too. And he's just sort of said, never again. You're on a hiding to nothing. Um, Remember when Wendy Harmer hosted the Logies? <laughs> I mean, she absolutely copped it and people said, oh, it serves her right. She did no research. She thought she could just sort of carry it off. And um, there were so, so many. Gretel Colleen got a bit of a pasting and I'm a big Gretel Colleen fan. I think, you know, and Eddie Maguire's done it and he just was smart. He just played it straight. Just was you have the host. to, totally. You well, have to. unless you're Bert Newton and you're just absolutely brilliant at it. One of the best hosts I've seen is at the Quills, which is the annual Melbourne Press Club <laughs> oh, we've Awards. we've gone from the Oscars <laughs> to the Quills. Just as important in some people's life, Caro. And um, a few years ago, our dear friend Virginia Trioli was the host and, of course, she always looks magnificent in anything that she wears and she had a beautiful... Um, from memory, it was it was a slimline, and from memory, it was a grey, silver, sparkly sheath. Really, she looked absolutely outstanding. She had really good heels on too, and she just played it pretty straight. And the crowd, as you know, at the Quills, journalists do love a drink, and probably by about twenty past eight, there were people already falling off their chairs, <laughs> and there was heckling and the usual. But Virginia just maintained and continued through that that barrage of noise and. 
And in the end, people just thought, you know what, we're just going to be quiet and be well-behaved and be respectful. And I thought, wow, that is really commanding a room. It's a job I would not do. I would just say, sorry, I'm painting my nails tonight. I cannot possibly come to Hollywood. Brian Taylor did a good job hosting the Footy Writers' Dinner a few times. He was quite funny. I'm really getting down. And and even... um, when you Clinton... hosted once, didn't you? No. No, no you, got, no, you no. spoke be, as president. I'd be hopeless. I always spoke as when I was president. Clinton Grivers, the late great, used to be really funny. Steve Quartermain did a good job. I think that is something Tony Jones, you know, that they do a good job, those guys. But I think when you get up on stage, Rebel Wilson is loved by the Brits, or she was, when she just went on the Baptist. But now this year's hosting, I don't know, they, they just went absolutely you know, she kept, she revealed she was a new James Bond, and mm, that was Robert, a bit flat. It fell absolutely flat. Um, had a crack at Prince Harry, had a and Meghan Markle put gave Vladimir Putin the finger. Didn't mind that. <laughs> she basically covered the the, the first six oh. new pages news pages in the paper. Piers Morgan, of course, was apps anyway. Terrible, terrible gig to get. I reckon Nicole Kidman might be a chance to win again for her performance. As Lucille Ball, well, you know what? You know that I've had to just sort of apologise on that front because I think you're right. I think she showed that she's and, a really fine actor. And Cody Smith McPhee as the young boy, the boy in um, Power, Power of the, the Dog. Dog. I thought Superb he performance. was fantastic too. Do you have a Do you have a favourite? No, I haven't seen enough movies, um, so I, I I can't say. But I did think Nicole in in um, in the being the Ricardos, is that it being or, or that's it? Yeah, yep. and the um, Ricardos was wonderful. and William Hurt died. I know it's it just, was weird. I didn't even know he was sick, and it was just—it's no. a real. Um, he was it, only seventy-two. It's really funny when. Um, well, it's not funny. It's just kind of a sign of your age when actors you've grown up with just start popping off, and. Um, Ah, uh, you know, we go back to, well, before even the big chill, I reckon I saw Body Heat with you. I reckon you and I saw that in about 1981 or yes, 82 when it came early out. early doors, yep. I can yep. remember us both saying that we thought Kathleen Turner was just a knockout. I'm sure you were with me there. Yeah, I, I think we did see that together um, and he was absolutely gorgeous. I remember him with Marley Matlin in Children yes, of a Lesser God. They yes. had a relationship briefly. She's been in a, I saw a really good film with her recently too where... The, He's still going strong. The but Kiss of the Spider Woman was a terrific film. I didn't see that on, at the movies, but I saw it, um, oh, I don't know, on some sort of, not long ago, actually. I think it might have been the first lockdown I, I saw, saw it. I saw it at the movies, and that gets my vote as yeah. his best film. Incredible Absolutely performance. Absolutely brilliant. But I, th- but I think brilliant. for somebody who, but I think for a part that I could really relate to, and he nailed it, and as usual, William Hurt was not always the nicest person in the cast. He was usually, he had some simmering anxiety or in the case of the big chill, he was a drug addict, but, oh, you know, he was a Vietnam vet who had a drug issue. But um, I really loved him in broadcast news as that good good looking news anchor, Tom Grunick, lacked the skills and the journalistic ethics, unlike his two colleagues in the newsroom who sort of saved him time and time again. And then who ends up getting the London gig? you know, the William Hurt character. And when he put on those tears, that there was uh, the investigative story. I can't remember what they were doing. It was child abuse or something, and he pretended to cry. And it was later revealed to his colleagues who thought he was outstanding that he'd actually had a bit of, you know, moisture and tear situation. It was a on. very good film. Gee, and that, that was that a great was, moment. That was sort of the turning point of the film, wasn't it? I think my other favourite was, and I love this film, The Accidental Tourist. Yes. With uh, Gina Davis. It was one of her first yes. big roles. 
that was another great film. No, look, he, he was a really good actor. I was not a big Chill fan. I just did thought that was pretty corny and schmaltzy. And, but I know people absolutely loved it. And it loved. sort of covered my – it was our life, really, because we used to have a holiday house where people would come who didn't have children, and it was pretty much everybody would do the big chill thing, which was <laughs> so 80s, as they say. Did, anyway. you ever, did you ever see Smoke, which was um, – the script was done by Paul Oster. That was a really good no. film. No. That was My really friend, Paul Oster. Yeah, your friend, exactly. I'm surprised you haven't seen it, Corey. You should, I'll give you his movie back catalogue because he was a great script writer. Yeah. Into the Wild was another great film. I mean, he had a smaller role. But, yeah, no, I'm just reading about him now. 71, in fact, not 72. Just an absolute yeah. shock. Yeah. An abs- absolute shock. And there was a period there, you're right, in the 80s and early 90s when he was the biggest thing. He was, and he was charismatic and, and just had that sort of slightly menacing, um, you know, you just never quite knew where the movie was going to go when he was in it. So, uh, yeah, he'll speaking, be missed. Speaking of age and years, can you believe it's half a century since The Godfather oh, opened I couldn't um, believe that. in New York City? Debuted on the 15th of March, I know, this week. I cannot believe it. I c- oh. oh, Miss Jane. Oh, Bit of sound she's effect. She's, she's clever. Impressed. Very impressed. Rose and Oscar. Oh, you over could have a little mandolin there. Watched the um, did, did the whole trilogy um, a few weeks, months ago in the, the depths of winter over there. It's it's a remarkable, remarkable. You know, I guess most famous for the fact that the sequel was considered better than the original. Yeah. Um, Interesting, isn't it? The third film was probably not quite as good, and um, and yet. Um, Although interesting, Caro, I would... Sophia Coppola, of course, who became, has become a great director, was thrust into the role of the daughter and um, probably directing is probably... She's much better <laughs> at than acting. It was interesting. I saw um, a YouTube thing on the 45th anniversary of The Godfather Part 1, so obviously five years ago, and it was an interview with Robert Duvall, who plays Tom the Consigliere, and the hilarious James Kahn um, as Sonny. And Robert De Niro, although Robert De Niro was not in Godfather 1, he came to this particular gathering and Al Pacino and uh, Talia Shire, Francis Ford Coppola's sister, who played brilliantly, played Connie. And they were talking about Godfather 3 and they all agreed, except Talia, they all agreed that they thought that Godfather Part 3 was pretty good. Talia said my brother hated it, you know, hated it. So in her... In her Oh, it was certainly but, good. It just wasn't probably but they as good were all, as the they first were all two. quite kind of proud of it. Of course, um, James Khan was hilarious because he said, "Well, you know, why would I like two and three? I wasn't in it." Which is sort of funny. <laughs> and had I known, had I, and he said, "Had I known there was going to be Godfather Part Two, I would have demanded that Francis. I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get shot." Well, sadly, Mario Puzo decided that when he wrote the book. But um, all the speculation. Remember when the book came out and the singer was it really Frank Sinatra? Mm-hmm. The performance of a very, very young Diane Keaton. I mean, I guess Al Pacino, so many famous films. Dog Day Afternoon was a huge one, but he'll always be remembered for the Well, Godfather. he said that in the New York Times interview last week. He said, I'm here because I did The Godfather. And he said, for an actor, that's like winning the lottery, which I thought was so interesting. But, you know, it's such a complete film for me, Carol. It probably is my favourite film of them all. It's, but, but when I think of it, I always think of Godfather Part Two together. It's a, it's a really it's a it's a it's a box set for me. And Godfather Part One had the chronological order, but Godfather Part Two had the back and forth in the story. And it's that kind of that um, 
the the story of, of good versus evil or how good becomes evil, being Michael Corleone, but also that American dream of the Italian migrant family. And Michael was the one that Don Corleone did not want to go into the family business. He was the son who was going to be a senator. He was the war hero and he, he wanted to keep Michael away. And there's that scene where he realises that, he you know, Fredo's hopeless, Sonny's dead, Michael, you're the one. I just, I, it is such a complete film. As I talk about it, I have, I have goosebumps. It's, it's just so fine. And every single performance in that, even the tough guys, you know, aren't they all brilliant? Flawless, absolutely flawless. And um, one of the greats of all time, but it makes me feel very old to think that it's 50 years ago this week that it actually came out. Corrie, let's head to the cocktail cabinet. Okay, everybody, it is time to open the cocktail cabinet. Thanks to Prince Wine Store. Great pleasure, Miles, to welcome you in the studio, back from your travels. Great to see you in the flesh. Thanks for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Good to be back. Yeah, no, it's great, a- great to travel, but it's always uh, nice to lob back into your own bed. Well, the best thing about travelling in Europe at the moment, and I know it was a work trip, but is that you really do get to see things, and if things are open, there's no queues. It's it's amazing. I think I walked into the Pantheon in about two minutes. Had a look around in Rome, and yeah, it was wonderful. Miles, you were supposed so to busy. be you were supposed to be working. Not my Sunday not, off. No one Sunday off while I was there. Oh, as I said, I stood in in an empty room and looked at the girl with the pearl earring. There was yeah, no a, one in the room. I don't think I did yeah. it at the Maritz house in um, in the Hague. Anyway, you've brought in two intriguingly pretty bottles of wine, and you're going to tell us all about them. Yeah, absolutely. So the so the two. Shall, I, two shall I be Princess Panda and just yeah. hold up the this beautiful one, Caro? This is called Lucky Cat Nouveau Shiraz from King Valley. Isn't it the most beautiful label? It is, and the King Valley is making better and better wines, aren't they? Yeah, and um, this is a so it's a Nouveau Shiraz. So they can't. I, I guess he's maybe sort of it's Tim Shand is the winemaker, sort of like Beaujolais Nouveau maybe is what he's getting at but it has this method that they use called carbonic maceration and it just gives it this lovely sort of really juby, tutti fruity, very spicy sort of lift to the wine and it's much lighter than the Shirazes that you probably are sort of used to. It's it's deliberately done in a really almost Beaujolais sort of style. So or a new Pinot a, or yeah. light and crunchy and What's the difference between a, a Beaujolais and a Pinot? I mean, so, I understand the grapes are different. The, yeah, so the grapes, the big one. Um, the method that they used to use to make Beaujolais was this carbonic maceration, but they do it less and less these days. They treat Gamay, which is the grape in Beaujolais, a little bit more like Pinot now. So you're seeing a lot of the Beaujolais that's coming out of out of the region much more serious in style than maybe what it used to be. I mean, it always was a serious wine there, but yeah. So I think this is sort of emulating that in some some degree. And where would we enjoy this or how? Well, look, it's, <laughs> it's what? kind of like... Anywhere, with anybody, anything. <laughs> it is. It's so, it's really light and easy. You could have it at sort of room temperature like it is now. You could put it in the fridge a little bit if it was a really hot day. I think it kind of skirts the seasons a little bit nicely, these styles of wines. They're not super heavy, but they've still got heaps of flavour. Um, you wouldn't want to have it with anything too heavy as far as food. But I wonder if Lucky Cat is one of those on wineries own, in the King Valley that used to be tobacco farms 40 oh, yeah, and 50 possibly. years ago. Yeah. That whole valley, they were all tobacco farms and, of course, that market collapsed 
And a lot of them yeah. became wineries. Wineries. So cut to the chase, well, Miles. How much will it cost it? So it's $25. Oh. Fabulous. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> Value. That, that sounds it's really value. good. It's such a great wine. It looks The whole lovely. range from Lucky Cat's really fantastic. No. And the degree and um, Chardonnay bits and other bits and pieces. But, but well, if anybody, we thought that was really good when we tried it. If anybody's curious to look at the beautiful design that Carol and I are looking at on the label, we'll have that on the Don't Shoot the Messenger, yeah, the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram label account. label is excellent. It, the label is excellent. And Love it. this one's a bit more traditional in terms of label, Martingale Estate Chardonnay 2020. Yeah. I thought it was a good sort of counterpoint that, that I mean, the label is very traditional. Um, so I might go, he, uh, I think the, um, winemaker's name is Chris Kennedy. Um, so owns the property. It's a, I think 20 hectares on a 40 hectare property of vines, um, grows all the classic sort of Yarra Valley. So Chardonnay, Yarra Valley wine. So Chardonnay, Pinot and Syrah. Um, and this is his Chardonnay and we sort of tried it about a month ago and we just thought it was really ridiculously good value. A little bit. Old school and far, it's got a little bit of sort of richness to it, a little bit of that, just a touch of that sort of butteriness, mm. um, but still lovely and fresh and bright, sort of medium bodied Chardonnay, really fantastic. The Yarra Valley is probably more renowned for its wines, but King Valley is starting to emerge or? I mean, it's always had a lot of potential. You know, it's pretty well known for alternative varieties, so Sangiovese, things sort of from Italy. That's what it's really sort of excelled at. This Chardonnay... Um what will it cost us? So it's $22. And we can also obviously pick this up at Prince Wine Store. Absolutely. Is, you... is this Prince's response to the increasing petrol prices <laughs> that we're just being so amazing with the generosity sure, here? that's right. We, we could see <laughs> I love it coming. It also, so. I love it when you say, oh, you know, we had, a, we had a bit of a taste and we all thought. I just have a vision of Miles and his colleagues in a, in a room somewhere upstairs at Prince Wine Store after all the Down, customers downstairs. have gone. Okay, downstairs in the cellar. <laughs> And all just having a bit of a sip and a reflection and yeah, we're, of course that's work, isn't it? It is work. We we sort of we're power tasters. We're very quick. <laughs> we make our decisions very quickly. We know whether we like something or not. So no, it, look, it's awesome. It's it's always generally a panel of us that try it. The owners, the you know the sales staff, and all the sort of senior staff. So it's always a, a bit of a group think type situation there. But yeah, and we see a lot of wine, so. We know what we like pretty quickly. We've had some <laughs> wonderful um, feedback, haven't we, Jane? Glennis, it was, who wrote to us and said that he only knew about Prince Wine Store because he'd heard Corrie and I talk about in the podcast. Excellent. Visited from the country with her husband, absolutely loved the restaurant, absolutely oh, loved fantastic. the wine store, just as much of a treasure trove as um, we had described it. Mm. So it's nice to know that people are actually learning about it thanks to the podcast, Corrie. Well, we don't tell lies here, Carol. There's no cash for comment. We believe what we talk about. Absolutely. Only the good stuff here. <laughs> we do. I'm actually looking forward to trying Lucky Cat, although Carol and I will decide who takes which bottle home for trying. But um, if you take the Lucky Cat, Carol, I do want a, a, a description of that because although I find Shiraz heavy, heavy this the colour of this is really mm. suggests to me this could be really beautiful to because try. Because you're a Nouveau Pinot. Shiraz, mm. Corrie. A Nouveau Which means a more, of, more of a Beaujolais situation. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're a bit of a Pinot drinker, so I am a, you'd yeah. probably enjoy it. I think I would. Mm. I think you're taking that one home, Corrie. It's We're, calling to me, Carol. <laughs> we would calling. love to try it meow, now. But meow, meow. 
Corrie has a book club to host and I'm um, going to the footy and have to talk on radio. So sadly, that's the end of that. Miles, welcome back. Thank you very much. And remember, princewinestore.com.au. And if you want to buy any of their wonderful wines, just go and we'll email and remember to put the um, the code M-E-S-S and you will get a special Don't Shoot the Messenger discount. Prince Wine Store bringing you the greatest wines in the world. Carol, I want to talk about this particular book on uh, BSF today, and thank you, Red Energy, for bringing us this little department of our our podcast. It's called Strange Flowers by an Irish writer called Donald Ryan, and I know that this book, I shared it with some friends over the summer holidays. I know, for example, that Anna from the Op Shop also enjoyed it a great deal. It's a pretty simple, quiet Irish story. I think you would really love it. And in typical sort of Irish, contemporary Irish literature, there's a village <laughs> with a few quirky characters. This is a this is village life in rural Tipperary, and it's 1973 when I suppose there is there's really bad blood at at its peak between the Catholics and the Protestants, and it's uh, this in this little tiny town, a quiet family drama. Um, Mole Gladney, who is the 20-year-old, much-adored only child of farmer Paddy and Kit, one morning she takes the bus from her rural home and disappears, never to be seen again. Bewildered and distraught, Paddy and Kit realise they may never see their daughter again. They search, they even go to Dublin and stand on a busy street corner and hand out pamphlets with photocopied images of Mole. But, of course, they don't have the resources to take their search further They feel that Kit has gone for a particular reason. Um, Maybe she just doesn't love them anymore. She's bored there. They're not sure. They return home utterly devastated. And then five years later, this is not a spoiler alert thing because it's on the back of the book. Five years later, Mole returns home. And the adventures that she's had and what and who she brings with her changes the family's life forever. And the big question here is, can Paddy and Kit forgive their daughter for breaking their hearts. So I'm not going to tell you which way it goes, but there's the usual quirky Irish village cast. There's, um, you know, there are the busybodies who want to stick their nose into business and they're too quick off the mark to judge. There's the predictable Catholic priest who's all sort of fire and brimstone. And then there are others who are compassionate and show neighbourly kindness. It sounds very Maeve Binchy or... Well, it, it, there's a there's a bit more of an earnestness to it than that, and it it has some. It did win one of the Irish novel of the year for the Irish Book Awards in 2020. It came into uh, into the Melbourne or into the Australian marketplace during the time of lockdown, so I suspect that's why it crept in. And also, Donald Ryan is a younger Irish writer, not as well known as Colm Toybean, but just as talented. I think he's a talent on the on the on the rise. He's had a couple of other big big novels anyway in the UK and Ireland, The Spinning Heart and From a Low and Quiet quiet Sea. They are now on my must-read list. But if you're looking for a good book club book um, that doesn't involve psychodramas or um, lonely women or anything like that, I would suggest Strange Flowers by Donal, D-O-N-A-L, Donal Ryan. It's beautiful. Now, Caro, 
We're off to um, the little screen this week. Oh, finally. Finally, we can talk about it. We can talk about it's it. It's taken you two months to work out your Paramount Plus, and I know it can be a bit complicated, Corrie. A bit. But you have finally got into the Gilded Age. Oh, wow. Isn't it fabulous? It is. Re- look, it is really. I, I, I'm. Thank you for putting me into the Gilded Age. I just, you know, I love a, um, I just knew it was going to be an epic. There's a beautiful scene, oh, probably a bit cliched, but when, um, when the main character, the young girl whose father has left her, he's died and left her with absolutely no money and she has to go. Marion Brooke. Yeah, and Marion has to go and live with her wealthy uh, Ryan Brooke family uh, members, her two aunts who live in New York, and she has to leave. Is it Pennsylvania? I think it is. And there's that wonderful scene of she's in the train and there's this big, almost like a helicopter, probably these days a drone, but it's it, you, you see the, the train crossing the crossing the frontier going to the big smoke and I thought, oh, we're in for a good ride here. And you see the words, two words, Julian Fellows and... Um, you know, you're in for a good time. It's the other, you know, the interesting thing, obviously the Gilded Age refers to that period in the late 19th century in New York. Um, Gilded implies something sort of shallow and not quite pure gold that... Um, you know, I suppose accompanied that period in the late 19th century when um, there was just troubles and poverty and unemployment and racism and so many terrible things lurking beneath the the guilt and glamour of New York in that late 19th century. I mean, the high points are that it's largely a female cast, isn't it? The women hold it all together. Um, Notably, Christine Baranski, who we know from Mamma Mia and The Good Wife. Um, he's one of the aunts, one of um, Marion Brooke, who's Louisa Jacobson plays her. I've never, I've seen her before, but um, I've never, you know, it's her first big role, I guess. And the other one, of course, is Cynthia Nixon, Miranda from Who Sex just the plays City. such a mouse in so many ways, which you don't expect, but she plays it so well, that role. And I also love the... Um, um, Bertha Russell character, Carrie Coon, who Car- I don't yeah. know. She's fantastic. She's, she steals the, the show. She's the, she's the wannabe nouveau who, who's trying to crack it with old New York, whose husband is, is doing dodgy deals with railways. Which Well, he's a railroad tycoon. Is he yeah. dodgy? He's not necessarily dodgy. Well, but... he's sharp. But, uh, you know, sitting there with uh, with my husband, Peter, spent quite a few years um, in his younger life and, and was educated in the States. He was telling me a bit about the history of the um, of, of the railway Kings, uh, that's how, of course, they all those big families, the Vanderbilts and so on, made their money. But um, it was really how to divide, how to cut through and divide this big continent and make as much money as they could. So whether it was timber or whether it was oil, whatever or forestry, whatever it was that fueled them, they had to get that line right across before anybody else did. And and Grand Central Station is clearly being built, and that's all part of the story. Um, the Astors are in it. The Vanderbilts, who you mentioned, are also in it. I mean, all these passing characters. There is some um, the whole, as you say, the society thing. I mean, on one side of the road are the two aunts who are high society and are wealthy, thanks to Christine Baranski having married um, a wealthy but clearly brutal and bullying man who is now dead. And she likes to remind everybody they go back to the Stuyvesant family, the 16th or 17th century, yes. whatever. And um, the, the, their niece, Louisa, um, played by Louisa Jacobson, is, is um, beautiful, but her father was a ne'er-do-well who lost the family money and they've taken her in really because there was no other choice. The father's left her nothing, the two aunts' um, brother. And then, of course, as you say, you've got the family over the road who have untold wealth. But the wife, played by Carrie Coon, is just determined 
to break into society. And there are various characters, the lawyer who follows uh, Miranda in, into uh, Marion to New York from Pennsylvania. Um, the other character who's really interested is the would-be writer, Peggy Scott, um, who is black and who through a, a accident of fate on the train journey from Pennsylvania ingratiates herself in a very good way into the household with um, Corinne, Christine Baranski Which and is a um, reminder Cynthia of, Nixon. Which is a reminder of what life was like after, you know, particularly up north uh, in Yankee Town after, um, after the Civil War. So, Chris, yeah, so Christine Baranski is very much the Maggie Smith of the, the Downton Abbey Maggie Smith, isn't she? It's because so it is um, so Julian Fellows. You know, it's got the class structures. It has upstairs, downstairs. It has the um, the characters who are strong willed and are trying to defy the social structures. Um, there's all that strategic matchmaking. The beautiful costumes. Oh, what about the big party they have over the road and no, no one, one comes? comes. It's just tragic. And um, trying to break into society via charity. And the, the, again, the, the, I love that Christine Baranski character because although she's the ultimate snob and won't even speak to someone who doesn't go back at least, you know, 300 years, she's remarkably void of racism where Peggy's concerned, brings her into the house, employs her, seems to have absolutely no issue with her, encourages her career as a writer, encourages her to go back and see her family because she's got family issues too. Oh, look, it's a great soapy. It's released week in, week out. I think Thursday's the day it comes out and I so look forward to every Thursday and even Brendan's become hooked as well. So for people who have problems like I did getting into it, you have to actually have uh – an extra component to your Netflix, which is the Paramount. You have yep. to sign up to Paramount as well. It's I think, very no, I, confusing. I think, no, you've got to go through Amazon Prime. Oh, Amazon Prime. Yep. Sorry, did yep. I say yep. Netflix? I'm sorry. Yep. No, yes, everybody, Netflix Amazon would, Prime. Oh, Netflix would be easy. <laughs> Amazon Prime, but you have to join Paramount as well. So it did take me about three weeks to work this out, mainly because I had no millennials staying in my house. But uh, anyway, I got there in the end, so that was really great. Well, I'm glad, Corrie. Now, and you've gl- been cooking? Well, I haven't been cooking. Clemmie Donahue has been cooking. Oh, that <laughs> child, you just she's like Cinderella. Get in the kitchen, Clem, and cook look, us up a storm. Look, Don't she, come out until you finish. She arrived um, at our place on Saturday with the most beautiful esky full of prawns. It wasn't the most beautiful esky. It was an esky full of beautiful prawns. No, the esky had prawns all over it. Oh. <laughs> it did. <laughs> You don't joke. They, I was just thinking, Jane, I was just thinking the old polystyrene from Bunnings. No, 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 no. The esky is actually decorated, decorated in prawns. Miss Jane, um, I'll have to send you the picture. But she got to work with rolls from Baker Blue. I notice there's one set up in Hawksburn now. There's one in Fitzroy or Carlton. Oh, there, there, there's at least two or three Caulfield. places around Melbourne you can buy these incredible Baker Blue rolls. Um, it is basically prawn rolls. The step-by-step recipe can be found on Clemmy Donahue's Instagram, but um, we will um, put the recipe on the show notes. He made the most incredible, the most incredible um, lemon mayonnaise to go with the prawn rolls, and it involved celery. The herbs involved it. It's peeling all the prawns, chopping them up, the lemon mayonnaise, celery, chives, tarragon, and I think parsley tarragon. was the other herb. Mm. Tarragon, lots of tarragon. They were absolutely mm, So beautiful. if you were going to have a bake-off with your daughter between prawn pillows and prawn rolls, who's going to win that one? 
Oh, the prawn pillows are pretty yummy. But I just I think, knew she'd say that, Jane. No, 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 I haven't finished. <laughs> they're easier to eat because they're little sandwiches. They're a cocktail dish. This Can was we a, have a cook? Jane and I would like to be the judges here. This was a gutsy um, lunch. Messy? No. Well, you had to be sitting down and you needed serviettes. So you wouldn't serve it at a cocktail party? You shove basically a huge bit of um, um, butter lettuce in as well with the chopped up prawn mixture and the lemon mayonnaise and you just sit down and eat this roll. And, in fact, I got through one and a half. Um, Mum managed one. Brendan managed one and a half. Or maybe Brendan managed two. <laughs> look, long story short, we ended up with one left over. It was sitting there looking so beautiful. I saw my lovely neighbour David over the road doing some work on his trailer. Just went over with the plate and said, "Do yourself a favour." He had the temerity to ask for a glass of Pinot Grigio to go with it. <laughs> um, it was one of the more nicer neighbourly things I've done, and they're very good neighbours. So anyway. They are absolutely delicious. There's something about, I mean, prawns are great on their own, but they're great on in a roll as well. Yeah, so. like the crab sandwich in Cornwall, the crab rolls. Yes. So uh, much better in a piece of white bread. But the lemon mayo, which um, she just made up herself, and I think the oil she used was grapeseed oil in the small kitchen. We mix. need the recipe for the for the mayo. Yep, it's there. Don't Good. you worry. Um, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? Strange Flowers is our book this week by Donald Ryan. The Gilded Age on Paramount Plus via... Um, Amazon Prime and my daughter's prawn rolls. Um, if you watch to watch them being made in progress, go to Instagram Clemmy Donahue. But we'll put the recipe in our show notes. Corrie, I'm grumpy. After having the prawn rolls, what could possibly make you grumpy? Look, it's a footy grumpy. It's a footy grumpy. It's really sad that in week one you can't go to the MCG with your normal gang and sit with them in the place you normally want to sit with them. Oh, I know, my goodness, I've heard this a lot over the weekend. I know there's a COVID square. Well, you've been walking with Anna from the op shop. Oh, no, but also my family are all in a twist about how do you get to the how do you go to the bomber game. Oh, Lordy. Look, I mean, there was, um, well, you know, Brendan and his mates booked, but someone, you know, came in late and they just can't sit anywhere near them. And... You know, getting to the MCG should not be that hard. There is plenty of room. The members isn't even completely sold out. There are these special designated ticket games. I know it's complicated. I know we're not going to always have to book tickets online, but it is really annoying to be told where you're going to sit when you've always just walked in, even at the biggest games of the year when some of them are ticketed and got a seat in the members if you're an MCC member or wherever you normally sit, you do not have to book seats. It's just... Something I feel has been taken away. And I think, you know, people who are MCC members pay a lot of money for the privileged, got a discount during COVID, but continued to pay when they never really were able to use it. It just seems an enormous pity they just can't go and sit where they want to sit. Even if it is a big game, I defy, if you turn up early, you should be able to bag your seat. Not 17 seats, just two or three. I don't think it's fair. Yep. Okay. And I think it's going I, to be... You know, I, I, I kind of agree. I can see why they've done it. I can see everybody's neurotic these days about public liability and a stampede on a big day and all that kind of thing. But you're right. I mean, the people who used to try and save 10 seats and convince you that their elderly mother was about to come and then six 
blokes arrive. <laughs> oh, look, you know, I, I mean, this those is going to be... Are, those days suck. The, the, we, we sit here on the eve of a season where everything is sort of back to normal. I mean, although I think, you know, in breaking news, again, as we're going to where, you know, Collingwood are going to struggle to field a team in their AFLW final because there's a COVID scare and there's an AFL executive isolating COVID scare. It's going to continue. And, there, it, you know, there are going to be top-up players on this. We know West Coast Eagles have had issues. But... The big worry for me is have people got out of the habit of going to the footy? Mm. Are they just too used now to watching it on TV? And will will some people be frightened to go back into big crowds? Mm. I just hope that doesn't happen. Corrie, it's time for six quick questions. Great. You can kick us off. I will. The morning after the death of his good friend Kimberly Kitching, Bill Shorten did an interview with Radio National Breakfast. Was that appropriate, his words and comments, or inappropriate, did you think? Look, I don't always um, like Bill Shorten's style, but I thought it was completely appropriate. He was almost, um, he had a dig at the Labor factions and what was happening in Victorian Labor and their refusal to nominate her or or support her. And he said, you know, there is a chance it would have happened for um, the next election to return to the Senate and to stand. But um, I think what we saw was a man who genuinely almost felt guilty. He was a one who appointed her with his captain's pick. It was incredibly difficult for her at times in Canberra. Clearly, people, Kimberly Kitchen, of course, who tragically died after a, a sudden heart attack last week. Um, she was the same age as Shane Warne. Um, it was a shock to everyone. She had her detractors in Labor. There was a view that she was for herself and more of a sort of worldview politician than a strong Labor fighter. But, I mean, you know, her work with China, you know, the stuff that she was doing that is so resonant now as um, Russia continues to do what it's doing in the Ukraine and more and more people are just watching with abject horror that this is sort of being somehow allowed to happen and we can't do more to stop it. But um, It was interesting to hear Erica Betts, interestingly, because it was Erica Betts, uh, his comments, his tribute to Kimberly Kitchen because they were on a committee or two together. He said she was an outstanding contributor. Well, a lot of and you people, always feel a bit sad when when you lose somebody like that—a a real light in Parliament. Well, I think Bill Shorten said at one point maybe it would have been better if she'd never gone into politics because mm. it was just horrendous the way she was treated, and you know who knows whether the stress of what she was going through um, in her own party contributed to this. I mean, people a victim will say, of faction fighting. Stop it. Well, I mean, uh, it, it. It, it's crazy to say that that's what killed her, but I, I thought it was a it was raw and it was you know. Pretty, pretty honest, Corrie. Um, what did you notice about the BAFTA fashions, and who earned your three, two, one? Um, women in black, Caro. So I don't know. I thought you didn't. You didn't watch it. Oh no, I, you well, looked I at the pictures. Totally went through the pictures. Are you kidding? I did everything. I did L. I did Vogue. You name it. Uh, black was everywhere. So I don't know whether that was the sombre mood of Europe at the moment, or whether it's because it's pretty cold in London. Uh, in early March, but there was lots of black and lots of high necks. <clears throat> but having said that, my three, two, one votes only feature one woman in black, and my first vote goes to British model and the absolutely super cool Adwoa Aboa, who is um, just such a beautiful looking woman, and she wore a gorgeous and elegant Grecian style strapless Saint Laurent dress, like the sort of thing. If you came off the beach, you'd put on, but it draped beautifully. Would you? Oh. Would we? Would we pop on Eve Saint Laurent after coming home from the beach? Well, yeah. Is that the way they roll? At it the might be sports school household. 
<laughs> sports, a sports girl version of that you might wear, but it was just so simple and so elegant and she had great shoes on. And then my second, my two votes goes to American actress Rachel Zegler. The most stunning shade of blue, a Vivian Westwood off-the-shoulder satin gown. Caro, it was the blue that we would call duck egg blue. It's the sort of blue, I don't know, that you see in Buckingham Palace. I seem to recall it used to be everywhere in um, Government House Victoria before they did it up. It would look great on, on you with your eyes. The most fantastic shade. Everybody go and have a look at that. And then my three votes, guess who? Lady Gaga. Oh, the Gaga. Deep green fishtail satin dress, almost like Statue of Liberty kind of. Oh, no, not Statue of Liberty. Who's um? What's is it, who's the character, uh, the... Columbia Pictures, you know, yes. that, you know, and holding up, she, the yeah, torch. exactly. Yep. And they always said it was Rita Grecian, Hayworth, yeah. Yep. Mm. So really beautiful, but it had this long train carol, and then she was just completely covered in Tiffany jewelry. She looked spectacular. What a star! She is such a Hollywood star. Love her. I'm so looking forward to Penelope, Penelope Cruz in her Oscar outfit because she's been nominated. Every year. She always looks fab. Um, Cara, what are you most looking forward to when the AFL footy season kicks off tonight? Oh, Corrie. Is tonight it three, as we speak. three new coaches, three debutante coaches in Michael Voss and Sam Mitchell and Craig McRae? Is it the fact that we can go back to the footy in big numbers? No, I think Dustin Martin, back from long-term injury, really looking forward to seeing him back in action again. And, of course, guys like Christian Petrarca and, of course, guys like Marcus Pontempelli. What about the unfolding of the flag for the Demon supporters? Oh, that'll, that'll That's be good. It's going to be fabulous. Well, it's not my Better top three, but that'll, that'll be good. No, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it happening at the MCG, and I hope their supporters turn up in droves. Corrie. Oh, in fact, am I asking you a question? Yes, you I am. What hour over the weekend will you never get back? Um, the hour I spent watching Marriage at First Sight on Channel 9 on Sunday night. Oh. There are, I had to endure, endure this because of my house guests, a couple of my children. I won't name them in case they're embarrassed to, for me to tell the world that they're maths fans. Oh, what dear. a shallow, insane setup. You know my views on reality TV. Well, I just can't go any further. The what dumbing down of earth? the world. Oh, Jane. Jane has her hand up. I don't watch maths, but oh. it could have been worse. If you want to watch a car crash, Byron Bay's on Netflix. Is, oh, that will trump Jane, maths. I know. I know. It's so addictive. Somebody, it, oh, no. Look, it's shocking. It's shocking. So bad. The people, it, it's We've just get a, a group laugh. of horrible people trying to be famous you know, in, in both of those examples, Corrie, I'm disappointed in you. I would have left the room. Uh, well, I, I, I did, and then I had gastro the next day. You'll know why. Um, why was this year's Moomba so successful, Caro? A combination of fascinating factors. Beautiful weather. Tick. Everybody allowed to go out and about again. Tick, tick. And th this is going to sound really daggy. I think people genuinely love Peter Hitchener. I don't think there's anyone... <laughs> I mean, he's not, you know, as famous as... I didn't as, know he was the King of Moomba. I just laughed when I saw him. He's not as famous little as... Parade, very little Richards Parade. Lou Richards or, you know, Graham Kennedy were when they were at their height. But everybody in Melbourne knows him. There is no one who dislikes him. He's promoted the bejesus out of Moomba. And I don't know, I just think there was a really good Melbourne vibe. There was. About Moomba this year. There was something about it. But I think, you know... Great city, people happy to celebrate again. It somehow just all got together. And for some reason, Peter Hitchener just resonated with everyone. Yeah. 
So, so I think, um, you know, both both him and Fifi, of course. But anyway, thought they did. A, I thought they did a pretty good job. Corrie, you have an amazing fact. I do, Carol, and this relates to the training of my puppy Panda. So inspired by Muster Dogs, which now there's a re- reality television show that really works. I yes. have been extending the training repertoire with my puppy. Yes. Get into the car, drop the ball, off the bed. And so for the purposes of research, I went to the web and discovered the average dog, when trained, can understand around 165 words, which brings them on a par roughly with a two-year-old. There are smarter breeds, according to Stanley Corrin of the University of British Columbia. Dr. Corrin says border collies are number one and poodles are number two. Well, what is panda? But a bordoodle. Oh. <laughs> so she's double smart. Brainwave. German shepherds are number three. Golden retrievers are number four. I hate to tell you about Labradors. <laughs> it's Where true. I'm not making up. They're last on the list. Why? I don't know. That's For what Dr. Corrin says, yes. Oh, <laughs> sake. That is so, ridiculous. Dr. Corrin also maintains that dogs can count up to four or five. And some dogs are so clever that they will deliberately position themselves in the right spot, falsely leading their opposition to another part of the room when the treats are being handed out. So they'll sort of, like my dog would lead your dog over to the corner and then dash back knowing that there's, that's where the treat's going to be. They're that clever. I La- don't. La- Queenie, maybe. <laughs> I don't think that's clever. I think that's just selfish. Don't be obsessed, uh, upset about this. It's true. He just says last on the list Labradors and doesn't explain why. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't go any further. I love Queenie. That is truly an amazing fact. <laughs> that is truly. So 165 words. It could be, I love you, Queenie, or Ma- go, go and get the paper So what have, you do- what have you done with this information? Well, I told you, I've been practising getting yes. in the car. Oh, I see. And the yep. ball at the park she'll bring back now, but now I have to say drop the ball. The problem is when I say drop, I don't even get the other bit out and she now hits the ground. So I've got to say, no, not that drop, drop the ball. Let's get uh, Queenie started when I say sit, he... He drops. He stops sitting. I, I don't know where I've gone wrong. Anyway, the puppy Bible, clearly so I didn't read it closely enough. That's it. The, the puppy facts for you. There you go. Lovely to see you again, Corrie. Just remember, our Dear Carol and Corrie segment is now a bonus episode. Each week we will respond to your queries. Please send us your modern dilemmas. It can be matters of the heart. Can it? Are we qualified? I suppose we are. <laughs> we can matters talk about of anything. etiquette? Yes. Friendship, politics, parenting, anything you like, just write to Dear Caro and Corrie. You can also join our footy tipping comp. The link is in the show notes. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you want to get those show notes delivered into your box each week, hit the sign up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. The email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie, woof, woof, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.